Would you turn with me to John's, not his gospel, but would you turn farther back in your Bible to John's letter, his first letter, 1 John chapter 2, the end of 1 John chapter 2. This is a a one-off sermon from John where we are on Wednesday nights. I invite you to join us on Wednesday nights. More than that, if you're part of our church, I ask you to come on Wednesday nights as your pastor. It's a time of equipping, and it's a time in which we pray together as a church. If you're able to, would you please join us on Wednesday nights? We'll meet this Wednesday. We're going to look at verse... We're going to look at the end verse 28 in just a minute of 1 John chapter 2. Get a look around and see who's here. Merry Christmas. It is Mary, is it? It should be. Well, depending on your relationship with the one who appeared at Christmas. The angel told Joseph in Matthew 1, he shall save his people from their sins. So either you are his people and you've been saved from your sins. In that case, it is a Merry Christmas. Or you're not yet his people. I invite you to be his people through the gospel, through the authority of God's word. But you're still condemned in your sin if you're not. So it's not Mary for that. But I also say kind of Mary because it's technically not Advent season yet. That starts next Sunday, the fourth Sunday before Christmas. But I guess we could say because it's after Thanksgiving, we've hit that trip wire in which of post-Thanksgiving in which we can start decorating, we can start singing Christmas songs and we can come together, and I want to do that and kind of set you up as we go into the month of December where we are going to study the, the book of Ruth, and we're going to look at it through the lenses of Christ is coming, the gospel, and the grace of God in our lives through difficult circumstances. But let's look at First John this morning. Just like Christmas can be watered down to really not be what it's about, Christ coming. So, the word Christian can be so watered down and have so little to do with Christ in us that we could ask and point and say, is he, is she really a Christian? I don't see a difference. Remember when the ghost of Jacob Marley appeared to Ebenezer Scrooge. Now what happened in that story is that his appearance on the stage changed everything eventually for Ebenezer. Can you think of an experience, an appearance of a person that made a massive difference to yourself and to those around you? You could say Michael Jordan did that for the Bulls in the late 80s, mid-80s, and to the Nike brand. When Moses showed up in Egypt again as an older man, first meeting with the people, the leaders of Israel, the Hebrew leaders, and then to Pharaoh with a message from God, it changed everything for the nation of Israel. And 10 plagues later, of great horrors, a destruction of a king of Egypt in the Red Sea when divided, manna in the wilderness, a blazing fire and pillar by day, and leading millions of people, a law given by God that we still have and must treasure, the appearing of Moses was massive. If you're a Harry Potter fan... The appearing of a boy with a lightning scar on the forehead was very important, not only to Hogwarts or the one who must not be named, but to all of the land. Or the appearing of a ring 
found by Gollum after it was hidden for many ages and providentially passed on to a simple hobbit who could do some riddles. And all Middle-earth live in the light of the appearing of the ring. You see, certain appearings make a massive difference. Christmas, like no other. Christmas is about the appearing of the Son of God. God came to earth. And this passage that we're going to look at says something pretty important about the meaning of Christmas and His appearing. This passage mentions the word or concept of appear or appearance or appearing or appeared several times. I'm going to read this text starting in verse 28 of chapter 2 into chapter 3, verse 10. Would you follow along with me? It'll probably be on the screen. If not, look, look, in, your script, look in the Bible and, and follow along with me. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, there it is, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of God or him. Verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears... We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. He is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God, God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Amen. There are three different appearances of Jesus that is critical in this passage and critical in your life. Did you see them? Every person needs to live in light of the appearance of Jesus. Let me say that again. Every one of us needs to live in light, in the light of the appearance of Jesus. We are living this morning in the light of the sun. Even if right now the sun is being clouded by, by or is being shaded by clouds, the fact that we can see outside right now is the sun is still bringing light to our days and every person must live in the light of the sun and must live in light of the appearance of Jesus. And from this text, I want to point, out, point to your attention three appearances of Jesus that is critical to our lives with questions to ask why and how 
And have they made a profound influence in our lives? Number one, the first appearing. Christ appeared at Christmas. Christ appeared at Christmas. The question we should ask is, and the question that John gives us and answers to us, gives us a reason is, why did Jesus appear at Christmas? He gives us two reasons. Did you see them? And they're in verse 5 and verse 8. Two beautiful statements on this. There, there are hardly any other passages that say Jesus came at Christmas for this specific reason. Now, it doesn't say at Christmas, but it just says he, he appeared. Well, he appeared by coming and being born in a manger, becoming a man. The, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He appeared, he came to earth. We read of that in Matthew 1, at the end of Matthew 1, in Luke chapter 2. Look at verse 5, though. You know, John says, church, you know right well that Jesus or he appeared in order to take away sins. That's verse 5. And in him there is no sin. And then verse 8. The reason... The Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So there you go. What's the reason for the season? Why Christmas? Why did Jesus come? He came to take away sins, and He came to destroy the works of the devil. Pretty good. You want to think on that? Think on that for the next five weeks. Wake up every morning and say, God, please help me to both be thankful and to really understand what this means and live in light of the fact that Jesus came at Christmas to take away sins and to destroy the works of the devil. Whatever that means, I want to understand that and I want to apply that to my life. Sins and the devil. There are no greater evils around us. And we can... We can far too easily underestimate the evil, the wickedness, the pain, and the destructive that sin and the devil wreaks havoc in our lives. Okay, he starts with verse 5. You know, he says, this is something that you've been taught, fundamental to being a Christian. You know that Jesus appeared in order to take away Sins and in him there is no sin. Now, in each of these patterns, verse 5 and verse 8, he says he appeared for a reason. But before each of them, he gives a statement of gravity, of weightiness, of sin. So look at verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. And we could go, what's sin? Glad you asked. Sin is lawlessness. Here is the definition of the nature or essence of sin. Sin is lawlessness. It is rebellion against God. It is ignoring and assaulting God's perfect will by disobeying Him. What He has told us. His law, His word, the word of God. This law that God gives is always good. It is beautiful. It's true. And sin is a breaking of that law. And like Adam in the garden with his wife Eve, we run into that same lawlessness. Everyone is like Adam. They are born making a practice of sin. He says, everyone who makes a practice of sin also practices lawlessness. You are born making a practice of sin. And frankly, those who practice get really good. And all of us practice are good, really good at sinning. For some... That sin of lawlessness comes up over time to be big, public spectacles of outward shame. 
adultery, theft, and you got caught by that theft, drunkenness, and you got pulled over, and now you don't have a license, or even worse, abuse, some even murder, or violence, assault. For some, for most, it may not be all of those things, but all those things that are embedded in the heart that if, if you could venture full strength towards it, you'd still do it. But for us, it's respectable sins like gossip, which is speaking words that are unloving and unhelpful, and it's not your business to share them. Complaining, which is another way of not being grateful for God's care over your life. Envy, I wish I could have that. I am upset that that person has that, and I don't have that. Passive-aggressive ways that are unforgiving, not being grateful, Unto us is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We need a Savior. We need a Savior from our sins. He says, big big problem. All those who practice sin are lawbreakers, are, are those that are lawless, rebellious, and sin is lawless. Jesus Christ appeared We know that the Son appeared in order to take away sin. In Him, there is no sin. There is no sin. Jesus is the Lamb of God. As John said, John the Baptist in John 1, He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, being the atonement for our sin, in order to take away our punishment and to give us forgiveness and a right standing of God and to start to do something in us that actually removes the practice of sinning in our lives. Jesus is the sin bearer that absorbs the wrath and punishment of God and makes us right with God for all who put their trust in Jesus Christ. He cleanses us. And then it says Christmas not only takes away sin, he came to take away sin, but he came to destroy the works of the devil. I'd like for you to think on that this Christmas season. Look at verse 8. Here's the grave statement. Here's the gra- grave, heavy, deep statement about sin. Verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Uh, we should all stop and go, is that me? Do I make a practice of sinning? What about some of the things I just mentioned earlier, the respectable sins? Do you make a practice of sinning? If so, he says he's of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Next statement, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Boy, that seems so strong. Can you say that, John? No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Oh. Do you realize that this Christmas season, in all seasons, your great enemy is the devil and sin in your life? And if you make practice of sin, you are of the devil, whatever that means. I hope to explain a little bit more. John 8, 44 Jesus says to the Pharisees and to those that were listening, you are of your father, the devil. Your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand for the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He's a liar and he's the father of lies. The devil is as old as sin. 
That scripture states it. His activity is sin. When you think of what is the activity of Satan that is at work in our lives, he is all about sin and lawlessness in our lives, and he is... He wants you to break God's law. He wants God's law to be be rebelled against by you, people that are made in the image of God. He is absolutely a liar, and he is all about helping you think and believe certain lies. lies. He despises the truth. He's the father of lies. He wants us to be deceived into thinking that we are our own boss And that we can do it on our own strength. He wants us to think that we can choose for ourselves the way we can and should live. And that it will be just okay. It's all lies and absolutely destructive. Leading us to suicidal sin. Demonstrating that we're we're just like our daddy, the devil. And he is a murderer. He He is the opposite of loving. He hates. He accuses us. He slanders us. He is our adversary. He has power to afflict people. In order for us to be tempted to curse God and blame God for trials, as though though God is not loving, but has a perfect plan for us. Satan wants and has the power to impact our thinking and put things into our minds. And it says here that Jesus came at Christmas in order to destroy the works of the devil. Praise God. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. Why did Jesus come at Christmas? Well, the angel said to save his people from their sins. John says to take away our sins and to destroy the works of the devil at work in us. So appearance number one, Christ appeared at Christmas to take away sin and to destroy the works of the devil. We're going to work out the implications of that as we move to the third point. But number two, we are, we are faced with the question that John does about his future appearing, but here's, here's the second appearing. Appearance number two, Christ will appear at the end of history. Christ will appear at the end of history. Why will Christ appear in the future. And I'm taking this passage in reverse order. So we got to go back to the last verses of chapter 2. Look at verse 28. Now little children, abide in him. That means remain in him. Live in him, trusting in him, clinging to him, looking to him for nourishment. He is your life source. Abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So here's another coming or appearance. First coming was he came. That's something that took place in the past at Christmas. He's going to come again. He's going to appear again. And here he says, first of all, you need to be a certain way. You need to abide in him so that when he appears... You're ready for the judgment. He's going to judge. He's going to come and judge. And we want to be ready for his coming. We want to be excited and confident, not hiding and terrified by the condemnation. All those who have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ are in Christ. When he comes, that will not be a time of condemnation. You've been condemned on the cross with Jesus' blood. I think what he's saying is there are a lot of people that think they're a Christian that are not Christians. There are a lot of people that think they've been saved because they did certain things, but they're not really real. There's a a paternity test. It's found in this passage. You want to know who your real father is? He's going to say that, 
But he's going to say, when he appears, are you ready for his appearing? Either you're going to be destroyed or you're going to be rewarded. And it's going to be all because of God's grace if you're rewarded. And if you're destroyed in punishment, it's because you deserved it because you ran your lawless ways. Look, maybe this is what Jesus was referring to when he was warning the crowds in Matthew 25 when he says, when the Son of Man appears, this is Matthew 25, verse 31, Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, that's his appearing, his returning, his coming, and all the angels with him, this is going to happen, please, I warn you, he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep at his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. A little later on he says, then you who will... Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devils and his angels. John is saying, abide in Jesus so that when he returns, you're like, yes, he's returning all because of God's grace. I'm confident, not in my own works and not in my own strength, but because... He, his life is in me and he's at work in me and I trust in, in him. He's returning, he's coming and he's gonna save me in the end. And there's those that are like, he's coming. I think I am, but man, really no fruit in my life. Jesus warned in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, beware, beware. Not everyone who says to me, you're my Lord, you're my Lord, and maybe even through, and even through baptism, even through other professions of faith, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now what Jesus was saying is, not this, not this. You want to be assured that you'll go to heaven? Do you want to get to heaven? Start doing good things and everything that he tells you to do. That's how you get to earn heaven. No, it is and always is. Jesus saves us by his grace, not by our works, lest we could boast and brag about it. Never, always by his grace. But when he saves us by his grace, he so works something in us that obedience becomes the necessary evidence and fruit that something really started to take place and has happened in our lives. John says, we must abide in him so that when he appears, we're ready and we're confident. And our confidence is in Christ. Noah, in Genesis, run to the ark. It's going to rain. After building the ark, run to the ark and get in there and be confident so that when the rains come, you have a protection. Christian, be in the ark of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in him, cling to him, look to him, be in him, follow him. Find in him your meaning in him. We gather Sunday after Sunday to remind ourselves we abide in him. We gather, we pray, we abide in him. We take communion to say, my life is in him and nothing else. God, please conform all of my life, my trust in him. I wonder if we're abiding in Jesus today. We all abide in something. We all remain in something. Are you abiding in Jesus? What are you abiding instead of Jesus? Is it your money? My money is where I'm secure. My career my ambitions for my children that have nothing to do with their eternity, but for temporal joy. Could be our decisions. Maybe we're, we're abiding in. Are we safe and confident? Because years and years ago, I asked Jesus in my heart, 
but I have nothing to really show for it in my character, in my love for God, in my new, in any kind of nature that took place in my heart. Maybe you are abiding and trusting in your church attendance or membership or your belief in him. You say, I, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe everything you're saying, pastor. But do you? Or is it your baptism or good behavior? Your behavior in comparison to others that you like to compare yourself to because you think you're pretty good when you compare yourself to them. We all abide or live upon something. Is it Christ or is it something else? And, and then as we move, he says, he says, there's a appearing that's going to come. Do you know what it's for? He's going to judge. And he's going to reward and bring glory. Look at the first verses of chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we are children of God. He's made us children. Verse 2, beloved, we are children, God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. We don't know fully what that's going to look like. When God, some, when we appear, when Jesus appears again, he's going to transform us. And what will look like, my heart can't even imagine how great it's going to be. But we know that when he appears, we'll be like him. We will have all our sin and our corruption away. We'll have new bodies. We will be conformed to his image completely and we shall see him as he is. In verse 3, he says that makes a difference in those that are truly saved, those that are abiding in him. We hope in that. And those who hope in him, they purify themselves as he is pure. They say, I, he is coming and that motivates me in a new way. Come, Lord Jesus. I want to cling to your son even more until he comes. His, glory, his appearing will mean glory. And the implications of his coming is all of this. Abide in him so that when he appears, you're ready. Hope in him so that when he comes, you don't shrink back and are destroyed. I just want to ask you as, as we move to the third port, port portion. As we review the first two appearings, he came at Christmas, he's going to come again. Has he taken away your sin? Has he done that? Has he destroyed the works of Satan in your life? At least in a certain way. There's this way in which all of us can say, pastor, I feel the attack of Satan every day. And that is true. But there is a type of way in which John means to say there is a work of Satan that has been destroyed and will be destroyed. And it makes a difference in your life today. Are you confident as you think of his return? And should you be confident or are you resting on something that really should not make you confident? My job as a preacher, God's word divides the soul and spirit. And so God intends for us sometimes to sit under the word of God. And, and for those who were comfortable, they should just get all messed up and they shouldn't be comfortable anymore. And, and I, but at the same time, I, my I want to bring truth to you. For some of you, you have very tender, sensitive consciences, and you, I want to bring comfort to you, encouragement to you, as you rest and keep resting in what Jesus has done. So as we move to the last point, I want you to think on this. It leads us to a question of personal application, and it's the third appearance of Christ in this text. So Christ appears at Christmas. Christ will appear in the future, Number three, Christ appears in all true Christians. I want you to think on that. If you're a true Christian, if you're a Christ follower who's been saved and born again, Christ appears in you. Has he appeared in you? That's the question that John would have us be asking. He appears to us in the new birth. You see that traced throughout these verses, verse 29? If you practice righteousness, you have been born of God. This righteousness is not something that you get saved by. I, I do righteous works and then God saves me. It's, it's obeying God's law from the heart. It's trusting in Him. It's, it's starting showing the fruit of the Spirit. 
If you have done that, you've been born of God. Verse 1, we've been made children of God. We've received his love. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. God's seed appears in us when we are truly saved. When Molly and I came together in marriage, we were fruitful and had five children. And we have appeared in all five of our children. People that look at us and say, boy, the apple, sometimes they say, the apple doesn't far, fall far from the tree. They say, and what do we mean by that? I see your dad or your mom and you, Grace or Paul or Elijah, Barnabas and Mary, and so is true spiritually. When we become true Christians, his seed comes in us and he appears in us in real ways. It's not just, I know I'm going to go to heaven when I die, but I'm going to look the same until I die. It's a new birth that actually starts progressively changing the way we are. And John wants us to understand that, think about that, and take the paternity test. Who really is your father? Who appears in your life? Spiritual DNA that is starting to go into your life. And he says there's at least three things that take place. You have a righteousness that starts to appear in you, verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, God is righteous, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he's referred to in the beginning of this chapter, of chapter 2. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices this, this righteousness has been born of God, verse 29. In verse 7, Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. And what I think he's saying is, if you have been born of God, true virtue will start to be working in us. And that is, God's spirit works in us to do what's right for the right reason. You can do right things for the wrong reason. The world is filled with people that will go to hell that do a lot of good things for the wrong reason. They might do good works in order to get saved, try to get saved and earn their way to God. They might do good so that others will praise them. But only true Christians that have the DNA of their father in them do what's right for the glory of God. We, this righteousness is a loving now what God loves. First him, his person, his son, Jesus, and we love what he loves, including our neighbors as ourself, including our enemies, so much so that in our behavior, we sacrifice and give, and we hate what he hates. We sin, but we hate sin. And this is all a work that's done by the Holy Spirit is a seed abiding in us. 1 John 3, you could go to the end of this chapter, verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So uh, keeping his commandments is righteousness. So has he appeared in you? Is there a beginning of God's work of I want to do what's right for the right reason. Here's another in evidence that he is appearing in us. His love appears in us. He says, verse 1, see what kind of love? Oh, what kind of love the Father has given to us. Yes, he's given us this love by loving us. And he's given it to us by putting it in our hearts so that we could love other people with a love that's not from us, but is from him, that we should be called children of God. When Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 5, he says, as be imitators of me and walk in love, 
children be imitators of your father. Be like dad. And it says here that when he is abiding, when we are abiding in God and his life is in us and we are born of God, his love will appear in us. Chapter 4, verse 7 of 1 John. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Can it be any clearer? If you don't love, you don't know God. Because God is love. In this love of God was manifest or shown to us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved him, love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. This should make us, each of these things should cause us to ask the question, God, is this love growing and starting to work in my life? Do I care about those around me? Remember Mark Dever saying to young Men that would come to his church, read big theology books, read the Bible all of the time, but would not be willing to get up early enough, an extra hour or two early on a Sunday morning to go pick up an old lady or an old man who needed a ride because that was just too inconvenient. He says, if you, if you have no love for that, how can you even say you're a Christian? All of us should ask the question, do, is the love of God starting to work in my life? The last thing that he shows that appears is something that's right convicting and should all of us fall on our faces and say, God, thank you for your grace. Please work this in our lives. If he has appeared in our lives, his work against sin appears in us. Okay, let me say that again. His work against sin appears in us. Jesus appeared to take away sins. Jesus appeared to destroy the works of the devil. Remember, the works of the devil is to get us to sin and to practice lawlessness. He's been doing that from the beginning. Jesus appeared to do that. And so if Jesus appears in us, Jesus, who in him is no sin, will start to do a work of sin being destroyed in our lives. This is big and important. Let me say this. Christians sin. I want to say that again. Christians always will sin. We are not what we will be. Even this passage says, we will be something. We're not there yet. If you were to read John 1, 1 John 1 into chapter 2, he makes it very clear that even if you say you have no sin, you're a liar and you deceive yourself and you call God a liar. But God has a remedy for our sins, Jesus who cleanses us and this new birth that changes us so that sinning becomes, well, we have a different relationship with sin than we had before we were saved. We will sin But this passage says we will not make a practice of sinning. We will sin, but we will not keep on sinning. And I would add in the same way. We will fight it and hate it. Here, as I read this, I have to read this through a lens of 48 years of life. Don't remember the first few years. If if I'm like you, you're probably the same. Uh, But a Christian, since I was eight, nine, ten, and seasons, including now at times where it sure seems like I'm practicing sin. It sure seems like I keep on sinning. Could it be with lust, pride, fear, selfishness, anger? I just keep on sinning. Is that what it means? Well, I think what it means, well, let's look at the words here. He says in verse 6, no one who abides in him, in Jesus, keeps on sinning. One thing we could say is the, every moment that you're abiding in him, you're not going to sin. If you're truly trusting in him, trusting in him and sinning, just they're not compatible. They're just not. 
But I think he's saying is the person that's life is characterized by abiding in him, sin can't, you just can't keep on. You're going you're gonna to fight sin. And chapter one taught us, what are you going to do when you sin? You're going to get on your knees and you're going to say, you're going to confess your sins knowing he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You're going to hate your sin. You're going to acknowledge it and you're going to You're going to run from it. You're going to fight it. You're going to hate it. Verse 8 of 1 John 3, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. I think that comes from a Greek word that just means it's a a present verb that's saying you are are practicing sin. You are in the present. You're you're actively engaging in sin, and, and you're just going to go with it. If so, you should be really worried that you're not a Christian. If you just, just passively say, sin, that's what I do, I'm good with it, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do this, I might clean it up later so I can feel better about myself later, but I'm gonna just stay bitter. I'm just gonna stay disobedient. I'm gonna just, I'm just gonna say that's who I am. If that's who you are, this passage says who you are, your father is not of God. It's hard words, hard words. Paul will say it, if if you're a Christian, you're not of the flesh, but in the spirit, if in the fact the spirit dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if, for if you live according to the flesh, your own selfish, sinful ways, you'll die. It doesn't mean physically, because everybody dies physically, but by the spirit. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. This passage is saying, has he appeared in you? Are you his God's children? Can you tell it? Because you see that, oh, it's far too little and you have so much confessing to do, but sin is different to you now. You keep sinning in one sense, but You're not happy with sinning and you're fighting against sin and you ask others to help you and pray for you and you go to God's word and you confess your sin when you do sin and you have a conscience that you respect and follow instead of ignore and let it get seared. Those are signs that you really are children of God in the midst of your fighting and even sinning. Are you seeing the signs, not perfectly, but there is a a welling up in your heart. God is alive in me. I do want to obey him. I want to know his word. I find myself still being swallowed up by the things of the world. God, forgive me. I hate it. I keep going after that, but God, thank you. You are at work in me. You are, I'm alive spiritually. When I went through that trial and difficulty, yes, I complained and I moaned for a little bit, but then I ran to you. I trusted in you, I sought you, and you were my God, and you were helpful. You were my help and my shield and my refuge. As we read the, gospel, uh, the letter of John, we have to be careful on one side to go, yeah, we sin, whatever. That's what God came for, take care of our sin. He's a propitiation for our sins, whatever that means, and I'm good, I'm going to heaven. And be casual about that. In one sense, you say, he did this for me. I trust in him. I put my hope in his justification for me. Praise you, God. Thank you for your mercy. I could never save myself. On the other side, we say, is there fruit? Is there evidence that God's seed abides in me, that I've been born of God, and that I'm abiding in Christ? Verse 9 of this passage, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are of the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not, make a pra- who does, whoever does not practice righteousness is not from God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Have you received the Lord Jesus Christ? If so, you believed that he is the son of God and you've repented of your sins, I call you to him this morning. 
But how do you know that it's real? If Jesus has no sin and he came to get rid of your sin and to destroy the origin of sin, the Satan, the works of the devil, if you're in Christ and abiding in him, you'll have a new relationship with him and you're not going to be at peace with your sin anymore. This whole passage gives just a few verbs, a few actions. It starts with, in verse 28, abide in him. I call you to abide in Christ. In verse 1, it says, See, see what manner the love the Father has given to you, that you should be children of God. And then later he says, Don't be deceived. Don't be tricked by what others have said is what a Christian is. Look at what God's word in the mirror of God's word. What does the Spirit tell you? If you sit here and say, Man, am I a Christian? Oh, I want to be. I hate sin, but it still keeps swallowing me up. But I hate sin, and I want to follow Christ even more. That's a good sign that you're a Christian. If you're sitting here and just thinking about all the ways you can excuse yourself, that's a concern. Don't, don't excuse yourself. Run to Christ. If you, say, if you have a tender conscience this morning as you read this and, and you go, I think I really am a Christian, but now I'm starting to doubt because, boy, I have so much problems still to clean up. Oh, just flee to Christ. Run to Christ. Look to what he has done in the gospel and, and fight. Fight with his help. Fight against sin. Ask for help. Gather people in this community to help you with that. Those are marks that you are in Christ. The reason, you know the reason that Jesus appeared and that is to take away sin. Hallelujah. He came to destroy the works of Satan. And I believe that by his grace in the years to come, if he does not return before then, in the next 10 years, you and I, if we're Christians, we will be able to, little by little, rejoice, not praising ourselves, but rejoice at how God is working his appearance in us, his humility, his obedience, his hatred for sin, his love and his presence towards other people. That is his intention. He, he's too good to save people and leave them so ugly and sinful. He comes, he forgives enemies, cleans up despicable, despicable sinners like all of us, and starts to put his seed in us. Or he puts a seed in us and starts to put his appearance in us forever. Let's pray. Father, please help us to sing of your love right now that has come in Jesus Christ. Oh God, cleanse our hearts by purifying our hearts, by causing us to hope in Christ, hope in his grace. I pray that you would bring fruit through your word and obedience to your word. I pray that those that need to be disturbed would be disturbed. They need to be disturbed so that they would find true comfort in you with obedience. And those that are, un, are disturbed and need to be comforted, you would bring that in Jesus' name. Amen.